Three things I've always wanted at Calvary Chapel, and I've mentioned them to you before, used to be four, but I finally got one of them, and that was the bride's room. (laughs) Excuse me. Okay, the other three are, and I don't know if I'll ever get to see them, I probably won't, but at least it's a desire of my heart that you can, when you look at these things, you'll know what I want. Um, and you can appreciate it, maybe. <laughs> One of them is I've always wanted a fountain in the courtyard here. You know where the planter is? I've always thought, you know, the uh, courtyard gets so warm. Now, I know how it is with little kids and how they like to dip their hands in it and climb in it and get showered. But nevertheless, I've always thought it would be so cooling and refreshing in the middle of the courtyard. And it would also be a reminder of the living water, Jesus, the living water, and the Holy Spirit's empowerment as the living water. And I just have always said to Chuck, oh, I wish we had a fountain out there. The other thing is um, at at the church on Greenville, we had a well. I don't know how how many of you remember the well there. But I always thought that was marvelous because it reminded me of the woman at the well and all these other things. So I've always wanted a fountain. And secondly, I've already told you this, I wanted a sign on the entries all the way through the gates as you come in. And they'll say, enter his gates with thanksgiving. And then in the entry to the sanctuary and into his courts with praise. Or right outside those doors over there. I just thought, oh, it gets your mind right on him, doesn't it? The minute you come in. And I've always wanted that. And there's one other thing I've wanted in almost every church we uh, check as pastored. And that is I've wanted four pictures. And they would be of the parable of the sower. And I thought if they could be right on the wall as people go in they could see how the seed falls on different kinds of soil. And what can happen if the soil of their heart isn't prepared for the seed falling in a certain way? And that's what our lesson is about this morning. Turn to Mark, the fourth chapter. Calvary Chapel is known as a Bible-teaching church. We have a pastor who believes the Word of God is what he's supposed to be teaching here, and he teaches it straight and he teaches it strong, and he goes right through the Bible. And I have dates uh, on certain portions of the last time we went through. The last time we went through Isaiah was 1976. Did you realize it's been that long? I was reminding Chuck, it says, it's been five years since we've been through Isaiah in the sanctuary with Chuck teaching. But uh, you should be reading Isaiah every once in a while just because it's such a marvelous book. But um, it's been five years. And because we know... Uh, the word so well and we're fed the word so well there is less excuse for shoddy Christian living here than any place that I know of and yet we have some of it and it really grieves my heart but it grieves God's heart more it isn't just the teaching of the word that's important it's how we receive the word into our heart that makes us a fruitful Christian pleasing unto God And those that have been with me, those of you that have been with me in the last year, know that my message, most of all, is pleasing to God. I want a group of women that when the rapture occurs and we all fly up in our, we're not going to fly, I don't know what we're going to do, but anyhow, be caught up together with him in the clouds. I want that stamp of beauty on your lives. And just, I feel like it'd be beautiful if there were a sign emblazoned across our hearts. I live to please God. And that's what my heart's desire is for you this morning that every one of us in this room, and really all the women of Calvary, learn to live to please him. I have known Christians at Calvary who sat in center section four, five, six rows back, Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, Thursday after Thursday after Thursday, and stepped aside to indulge in the grossest of sins. 
And I know I've cried out to God, how in the world can they do it, Lord? How can they sit under the word like that and go into deliberate, rotten um, sin? It grieves God's heart. It grieves Chuck's heart. It grieves my heart. It grieves all the Christians' hearts that know about Christians' hearts that know about it. And in addition to that, what does it do to the person themselves, and what does it do to the world? You know, Chuck and I, every time we go to Israel, we witness to these very, very precious Jewish friends of ours, and they really believe Chuck, and they believe me. But there have been more Christians in Israel, not on our tours uh, that I know of. But on other tours, Christians have gone over who have done some of the most horrible things in Israel. And these people say to us, now they are Christians, and they do that? They are Christians, and they've left their wife to marry somebody else? And they are Christians, and they, uh, this one woman that said, oh, God told her to divorce her husband and leave her children to minister? I just, and our guy just, he had us over for dinner one night, and he went, I don't believe God ever told her that. And we said, we don't believe God ever told her that either. <laughs> and so he now says, oh, I had that Christian tour, not Calvary Christian. Calvary Christians are different. They are. <laughs> we go, praise God. And it isn't that we're uh, trying to say a denomination is different. It isn't that. And when we say Calvary Christians, I like to think of Calvary as a cross of Jesus Christ. And you're Christians that have come to the cross and you're learning to deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow him. When you think of Calvary Christians, think of Christians who are walking in the light of God's word and denying themselves. See that cross in their life, a relinquishment of the world and not walking in sin. I've known Christians, I've seen Christians who globe with the light and love of Jesus. They attended Bible studies faithfully, and they became dull and apathetic. Have you known some Christians like that? They were so alive in Jesus, and then you see them, and you want to share a scripture, and they go, oh, yeah. And there's just no life left, and you wonder, what in the world has happened? And then I know Christians who have become brighter and brighter as the sun going forth in her glory, and as they sit under the word being taught, they just blossom and bloom and grow, and what a joy they are, and how they please the heart of God. And this morning, I think we're going to have a little more understanding as to why there are Christians on these different planes and why some of them never seem to grow. We need to know why this happens, and we need to search our hearts this morning to make sure we're receiving God's word on good ground. We don't want to be in that company that grows cold or turns back or is unprepared for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We want to be fruitful Christians, pleasing God in the time that's left. We're going to read Mark this morning, chapters, uh, chapter 4, verses 1 to 9, and then we're going to read verse 13, and then we're going to skip from 14 to 19. So I'll tell you where I am. You follow along. We'll start at verse 3. Jesus is speaking. I'm going to start at verse 1. It's good to get the locale and the setting. And Jesus began again to teach by the seaside. This is the Sea of Galilee. And there was gathered unto him a great multitude, so that he entered into a ship and sat in the sea. And the whole multitude was on the sea, was by the sea on the land. Hmm. <laughs> and he taught them many things by parables and said unto them in his doctrine, Hearken. Behold, there went out a sower to sow, and it came to pass as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and the fowls of the air came and devoured it up. And some fell on stony ground, where it had not much earth, and immediately it sprang up, because it had no depth of earth. 
But when the sun was up, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no fruit. And other fell on good ground, and did yield fruit that sprang up and increased, and brought forth some thirty, and some sixty, and some a hundred. Now jump to verse 13. And he said unto them, Know ye not this parable? And how then will ye know all parables? This parable is the key to all the kingdom parables that Christ teaches. I wrote in my Bible, Key to Parables, because it should, I should have key to kingdom parables in it. Because um, it is the, par- the key to all the kingdom parables that go, uh, Jesus goes on to teach. Verse 14 is an explanation of what I just read to you. Jesus is speaking, The sower soweth the word. The sower is any minister or anyone who is ministering the gospel of Jesus Christ. The word is the word of God. And these are they by the wayside, where the word is sown. But when they have heard, Satan cometh immediately and taketh away the word that was sown in their hearts. Can you see my picture in the sanctuary, the word being sown, and this evil spirit coming in to take away immediately what was sown? And I wanted people to see as they go in what can happen when the word's sown. It's not enough to just be there. And these are they likewise which are sown on stony ground. Can you see the rocky soil this morning? Who, when they have heard the word, immediately receive it with gladness and have no root in themselves, and so endure but for a time. Afterward, when affliction or persecution ariseth for the word's sake, immediately they are offended. And these are they which are sown among thorns, such as hear the words. Can you see the seed being sown and the, and the tares and the thistles and all this and this word going down among those, the seed. And the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the lusts of other things entering in choke the word and it becometh what? Unfruitful. Unfruitful. But let's read verse 20 together. I love it. And these are they which are sown on good ground, such as hear the word and receive it, and bring forth fruit, some thirtyfold, some sixty, and some a hundred. This is also recorded in Matthew, the 13th chapter, uh, the first verse, and to, I can't remember what verse it ends at, and then the 18th to the 23rd is the explanation in Matthew. In Luke, it's in... Uh, Luke chapter 8, verses 11 to 15. And you should read all three versions of this parable because uh, the Lord has some important things to say that each writer brings out. We'll kind of touch on those this morning. Okay, Jesus here shows by a parable four kinds of heart conditions and how the seed, the word of God, is received in them. A parable, and you see this word among Jesus teaching a lot, a parable is an illustration or a story, a simple story told to illustrate a truth. It's a simple story told to illustrate a truth. It is not an allegory. C.S. Lewis was a writer of allegories, and an allegory you're supposed to sit down and study and find this point and this point and this point. A parable, you're supposed to instantly catch the truth in it. And Jesus told this story to illustrate a truth. Um, I'm just wondering, I've been to the Sea of Galilee, and um, around it, 
uh, especially in certain areas, are, are, uh, there's a lot of agriculture. And you can see this place where um, Jesus might have sitting in the sea, been looking out and seeing a sower going through his field, sowing a seed. And he might have thought, this is a perfect story to describe what's going on. And as the multitude turn around to leave me, they can see the source sowing the seed. And this will be imprinted on their mind. The Bible doesn't tell us that, but it's just possible. And it is an area where um, there is a lot of farming done. Jesus was sitting in a ship. See him in the ship, there in the water, facing this multitude of people on the land. And there is a part of the parables that I'm not going to share. I'll share all the parables, but this explanation of Jesus said, I talk to them in parables because they're blind and they don't want to see, and so they're going to have to be able to pick up. But to you disciples, I want you to know exactly what I'm saying. And that's why he tells the parable rather obscurely and then very clearly. When he clarifies the parable, it's to his disciples. Parables are clear to Jesus' disciples but they're very obscure to the world and to those who really don't know him. The people in Palestine, as it was called, it, as we refer back to it uh, in biblical times, were well acquainted with sowing seed. It was uh, an agrarian society, it had to be. Um, and they saw farmers all the time out in the field, and probably most of them were. And they knew about planting anything, and they knew how important the condition of the soil had to be. And you who have planted anything in this room know how important soil is. Is there anyone in the room that doesn't know how important soil is to plants? I mean, it's the key to successful gardening, isn't it? You can have the sun and air and water and the wrong kind of soil, and your plant will never do what it's supposed to do, or the seed will never produce what it's supposed to produce. Let's look at the parable. In Luke 8, 11, in explanation of the parable, Jesus says, The seed is the word of God. The sower, we know, is the one who teaches God's word. The ground or the place sown depicts the heart of the hearer. And the hearer is anyone who hears God's word taught, whether it's by tape, by radio, in church, by TV, wherever it is, when you hear God's word, you are a hearer of the word of God. Quickly over it again. Most of you already know this, but in case we have some new babies in Jesus Christ, I'm going to go over it again, which reminds me, who will go find somebody to turn the air conditioner on? Does it feel kind of um, stuffy? (laughs) Okay, who will go? (laughs) Thank you. Lynn, I appreciate that. All right, first of all, for you who are new in the Lord or you who need a refresher course, the seed is the word of God. Jesus says that in Luke 8, 11. The sower is the one who teaches God's word. Chuck's a sower, Romaine's a sower, anyone who teaches God's word. The ground or the place sown depicts the heart of the hearer. And the hearer is anyone who hears God's word taught. Okay, the first sowings. The first place the seed was sown was by the wayside. Have, if you've ever broadcast seed, and I've done this with wildflowers, you know how you take it in your hand and you throw it? If you've never done it, you should do it. It, it really is pretty. If you have an area that you don't want to plant seed by seed by seed, you can do what they call broadcast sowing. And this is kind of what Jesus was referring to. It is what he was referring to, where the seed was scattered. When Chuck is preaching, he's scattering the seed of God's word uh, through the whole congregation and over the radio. And all kinds of people are picking this up, and it's landing all kinds of places. It's landing by the wayside. 
Jesus said in some people, and what is a person's heart like that the seed is sown by the wayside? Well, first of all, I want to tell you the results of it. Mark uh, 4, 4 says the fowls came and devoured it. Another one of the places, it says it was trampled underfoot and the fowls of the air came and devoured it. Chuck was saying to me this morning that in the Bible, the birds and the fowls are always a sign of evil. In other uh, places where this parable is taught, uh, it says that Satan comes immediately and taketh away that which was sown in the hearts. And another place it says the devil comes and takes it away. Now, when the seed is sown by the wayside, the birds of the air, the devil, actually comes and takes it away. What's a heart like that's a wayside heart? Matthew says they understand not the word that is sown, and so the wicked one takes away that which was sown in their heart. When you bring someone to church, this is an admonition, who does not believe or has not been born again, by this parable you can see you better pray before they get here that their understanding will be open and that Satan cannot take out of their heart what was sown. Because he's waiting. He is a vulture. He's just like a vulture. He doesn't want that seed to fall in good soil. You pray that there will be good soil, a tender heart for the word to fall upon, that they might be born again. This is just good soil preparation and I think a requirement for you as God's children. Okay, what kind of things produce the condition of the kind of heart uh, described as seed falling in the wayside? First of all, and you'll identify with this if you have any unsaved people that you're working with or unconverted people. First of all, there's a lack of, there can be any one of these things, not all of them, probably one of them or two of them. A lack of interest. How many people have you witnessed to that there's just a plain old everyday lack of interest? Yeah. They uh, fail to realize how important Christians' decisions are, and they have not the foggiest notion of eternity. They don't read about prophecy, or they don't care, or they don't believe. They just case, rah, rah, live and let live, and they go on with a complete lack of interest. If they come to church and there has not been a good preparation and prayer by Christians, the seed falls on the wayside, they leave church, and they go, oh, I'm glad to be out of there, what a bore. And you meet them. You meet them along life's road. Okay, secondly, you might be encountering a person and the seed falls by the wayside because it falls on a closed mind. If you're taking notes, you ought to write these down because as you come up against these people and you, the Spirit begins to show you what their problem is, you know what area to pray in. You don't want to be praying for a lack of interest if that isn't it. If it's really a closed mind, you need to be praying that their mind will be open, that the blindness will be taken out of their heart. Okay, with a closed mind, they're prejudiced. Often that is a result of ungodly educators. Chuck and I meet very, very often people that we knew that once walked with Jesus, went to college under humanistic teachers, and they do not even believe in God now. They have a closed mind because of prejudice, because of what they were taught in college. And the vain philosophy of man has filled their heart and life and closed them against anything spiritual. Okay, they can be prejudiced. Uh, prejudice makes one deaf to anything one does not want to hear. Prejudice makes one deaf 
to anything one does not want to hear. If you ever watched Archie Bunker on TV, which is a program I did not like, but he was a perfect picture of a prejudiced man who would not receive truth. He was deaf to it. He chose to be. Or one by the wayside might be a person who is indifferent. Now, that's a little different from lack of interest. They might think, oh, yeah, there's something there. And one of these days, I'll get to it, you know. But they're just kind of indifferent about things of God. They feel they can get along without it. Haven't you met that kind? Mm -hmm. And, you know, if life were all sunshine and roses, that would be fine. But unfortunately, into every life, a little rain must fall. And what do they do when the rain starts falling, when the storms start coming? What do they turn to? Do they turn to alcohol? Do they turn to um, occult things or cultish things? What do they lean on? What is their crutch? Do they go to pills? Do they go into therapy? Almost every movie star that isn't born again that I hear on any program talks about being in therapy. Merv Griffin or Mike Douglas or whoever will say, uh, have you had therapy? Oh, yes, I had therapy. Oh, yes. And what did they do? They probably went to a godless therapist, and they're in worse condition than before they went. Now, I am not against therapy, uh, especially Christian therapists. In fact, at uh, Brea Psychiatric Hospital, they now have started a Christian wing. And if you have friends that have a, uh, some problem where they have to be... Um, the only thing I can think of is put away, and that sounds so bad. But if they have to be put away for a while, send them there. <laughs> uh, because there is a Christian therapist there, and I praise God for that. Okay, but they can be indifferent. And the seed falls on the wayside, and they say, oh, I don't need it. Who needs it? Then there can, they can be unteachable. They re, it's a result of pride or fear in their life. The pride in their life, they think they know everything to begin with, and there's not a thing you can tell them, oh, I've studied the Bible. Have you heard him say that? They'll go, oh, I've studied the Bible. I know God's word backwards and forwards. Brian told me that he was, uh, Brian, my son-in-law, was at the convalescent home recently um, ministering to people there, and he said this 92-year-old man um, was so bitter. And Brian was trying to say, now, look, if you really know God's word, you can't be bitter. And he said, Brian said to him, you don't know God's word, and he couldn't finish the sentence. The man started punching him. <laughs> Brian said three different times the man punched him. And he said, you know, it really hurt. I got kind of tired of it. <laughs> but the man was unteachable. He said, oh, I know God's word. Well, if he really knew God's word, he wouldn't retain bitterness in his heart, would he? Because we're supposed to let go of bitterness, Ephesians 4.31. Okay. Or they have a fear of the truth. There are a lot of people that are afraid of the truth. It's amazing how much fear. Have you talked to anyone about prophecy and they go, don't tell me that. I don't want to know anything about it. I, just, I don't want to hear it. You know, no, 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 please, that's scary. I don't, you know, I've run across people like that. They don't want to hear They're afraid of truth. And it's hard for us to understand when we walk with Jesus. I want to know the truth because the truth freezes. Or they have an immoral character. They are behaving in such an immoral way that they don't want to give up their lifestyle. They love it. They love what, they, what they're doing, and they feel if they come to Christ, they're going to have to change that lifestyle so they don't want to give it up. And I'm sure that there are wives in here this morning who are suffering because of unsaved husbands who are living an immoral lifestyle, and this husband will not come to Jesus because he's enjoying what he's doing. And you single girls that might be going with boys who are with... Uh, Boys, guys, fellas, men, whatever you're going with, <laughs> that don't know Jesus. <laughs> I caution you today, 
you better be very, very, very careful because we have appointments on our calendar till it bulges the calendar from women who married ungodly men and even men who for the sake of love say, oh, yes, I will accept Jesus, but it's not real. And they're probably, I know their wives in the room this morning, they're suffering just because they married a man like this. Immoral character often causes the seed to just fall by the wayside. And what are the results? When the seed is sown, when they come in contact with the word of God, the wicked one comes and takes away that which is sown. So if you are witnessing, you must precede it by prayer and ask God to show you the area where this person uh, needs the most prayer, and God in his faithfulness will do it. All right. Some fell on stony ground, in stony places. It fell upon rocks. It didn't have much soil. It didn't have any depth. It sprang up, the sun scorched it, and it withered away. Verses 16 and 17 of Mark 4. And these are they likewise, which are sown on stony ground, who when they have heard the word, immediately receive it with gladness, and have no root in themselves, and so endure but for a time. Afterward, when affliction or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they are offended. This breaks my heart. We've all known them if we've walked with Jesus very long. They've come to church. they said, oh, this is truth. They've embraced it. They've had enthusiasm. They're kind of manic depressive in their experience. Great highs, but when the lows hit, they just want out. They go, oh, praise God. This is wonderful. They have great enthusiasm. They are shallow Christians, very shallow. They never take time to really study God's word. They know nothing of discipleship, of denial of self, and really walking with Jesus. They, have, they know nothing of John 15, of really abiding in Christ. And they know nothing about walking in love. They endure for a while. They're shallow. They're superficial. There's no depth. And unfortunately, the body of believers has a lot of Christians. And it is though the word falls and it hits the rock and it never gets down into good soil. They just live this kind of surface life um, for a time, but there's never anything really glorious that happens. There is no growth. Um, maybe at the beginning it looks like a spurt of growth. But because there isn't that depth of soil and they don't get roots going down and they can't get the moisture... The Bible tells us that they wither, the sun comes out and scorches them, and they wither up. They're scorched and withered. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't want to be a scorched and withered Christian. I want to be one that's planted by the side of the water, you know, that flourishes and the leaf stays green and all these wonderful things happen. These Christians are best described as not having depth nor roots. And when afflictions or persecutions or tribulations or temptations come, they are offended for the word's sake, and they wither away because they lack that moisture and depth. Could moisture describe a lack of the Holy Spirit really being at work in their heart? Because, again, the Holy Spirit is described as uh, the living water, isn't it? And as that living water flows through, it gives us that moisture that we need. Um, In John 8, the Holy Spirit is described as the living water. These people just are unstable Christians. Have you ever planted uh, a plant in soil that was not quite deep enough? What happens? You know, it flops over to one side or the other. Without depth, 
The plant won't stand up straight the way it should. And you know, we as Christians who are really trying to walk with him as we should and are abiding in him and really going into the deeper places and are planted in good soil, we need to come out with some stakes. You know those... um, you know how you stake up a tree and you see it leaning way over and we need to pray some good soil in the life get them off the rocks and get them down into the good soil they are unstable christians they're a difficulty in the body always because of their unstable lives they're excited by every new craze they run here and there have you heard about the positive confession doctor oh i'm into that glory glory everything's going to be perfect no suffering no pain drive a cadillac or better yet a rolls whatever they understand nothing about the life of jesus they don't know what the cross means they can't understand they'll probably well i better not say that. i will get in trouble but anyhow um i am a uh, adamantly against it and so is chuck and if you haven't read that book from the uh, pinnacle of the Temple, you should. It's a marvelous book about positive confession and the harm it can do in a believer's life. And Chuck and I are going around, especially Chuck, are going around picking up the pieces of people who believed in that and it didn't come to pass and their lives are destroyed. If you don't know what prosperity doctrine is, please don't ask me. I don't want to talk about it after class today. Uh, if you can't find out, you're better off. You don't want it anyhow. And it's only the Christians that are on the rocky soil that would get in tra- um, rocky uh, terrain that get entrapped in that. A Christian that's down with depth and good soil knows that that is not truth. Now, if some of you are into that and I'm offending you, that's what it says is going to happen. When you're on the rock, you're offended when these things come. But this is truth before the Lord this morning, and we are responsible to speak truth when we stand before you. And I don't care how convincing the speaker is that you hear on TV or, or any place else. If they try to tell you we're not to have suffering and pain in this walk and this earth, they are wrong. Jesus suffered, Paul suffered. Paul said in one scripture, and I was so um, uh, blessed by this as I read it, he said, uh, when he, he's describing, he said, when he was born again, the Holy Spirit showed him what things he must suffer. And do you know they say that Paul shouldn't have had the thorn in the flesh? They do. When they begin to tell you their full doctrine, they will tell you. And I heard one of the strongest exponents of this preach on this. Said Paul should never have the thorn in the flesh. It was his fault because he didn't give all his care over to Jesus. And there was negative confession when he said, you know, about the care of the churches and all that kind of stuff. Don't you be trapped in that. It is so allied to Christian science that, and religious um, science of mind and all that. It is scary. And we are not to say, I don't have it, when we do have it. You know, if you've got a cold, you've got a cold. And if you have sniffles and a cough, you say, Lord, I've got a cold. Will you touch me and heal me? But you don't say, I don't have a cold. My son worked for some people for a time that were in it. He went in with a raspy throat, worse than mine this morning, and a cold and a sore throat. Sick. He was just really sick. And he said, I think I'm going to go home. I really feel awful. He had a temperature. Brother, don't say that. Say, I am well. I'm well. He said, I'm not well, and I'm going home. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Okay. This type of Christian runs around here and there. They believe that Christians can be, uh, have all kinds of strange things happen to them. They, uh, when fire pops over here, they run over here. And when it pops up over here, they run over here. They aren't firmly grounded. And they, you need to be firmly grounded in the word of God. Uh, I call them circuit-riding Christians because they, you know, <laughs> circuit around, circuit around. Um, 
A commentator said, sudden enthusiasm can quickly become a dying fire. Isn't that true? You know those big fires that flame up and then they're just embers in no time at all? Okay. Then uh, the third type, some fell among thorns. And this is going to be an ouchie this morning for most of us. I was reading the other day that when you speak, one of the things you're supposed to do is discover truth to the people that you're, uh, with the people you're speaking to. And that's what I am up here, a discover of truth with you this morning, or a discover of places in my life where I need to shape up. And we need to ask the Lord to show us where we need to just really uh, walk in the Spirit, and where we need some changes made in our life. Okay, some fell among thorns or weeds or thistles. I like to call it thistles or weeds. I think it describes a little better. Verse 7. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no fruit. Verse 18 and 19. And these are they which are sown among thorns. The seed fell in maybe good ground, but it was sown among thorns. Such as hear the word. And this next verse, 19, should be one that you go back to over and over and over again as a checkpoint in your life because you may have had the seed planted in good ground, but this is one of the places where Satan loves to trip up the the people who really want to walk with him, and it's very subtle. The cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, the lusts of other things, Entering in, choke the word, and it becomes what? Unfruitful. Um, These are not necessarily bad things in themselves. These are those things with, with which we become preoccupied, and they take precedence over the things of God, and it is very, very subtle. There's a gradual spiritual decline, and Christ is gradually crowded out. They're still in church. You notice I'm using there instead of we're. Um, They're still in church, and they're still hearing the word. And that's one of the tragedies of this. The word is having little effect on their lives, hardly any effect whatsoever. And we have them all around us. They know they ought to be there. I want to read this portion in Living Bible to you because I like the way it expresses it so simply. The thorny ground represents the hearts of people who listen to the good news and receive it. But all too quickly, the attractions of this world and the delights of wealth and the search for success and lure of nice things come in and crowd out God's message from their hearts so that no crop is produced. Couldn't be much clearer, could it? These thorns come in and they choke out the fruitfulness. This is kind of my testimony of what happened to me when I was a teenager. My parents had brought me up in things of the Lord, but when I was 13, they bought a ranch uh, out in another area, and they started out still attending church very, very regularly. We would go out Saturday morning, come back Saturday night. Then they started going out Friday night and still coming back Saturday night so we could be in church on Sunday. Then they started going out Friday night, staying Saturday, staying Saturday morning, coming back in time for church Sunday night. Then they started going the entire weekend, coming back too late for church on uh, Sunday evening until I was 13 when they started that, I think, and I was 20 when we got in. Seven years they did that. 
and we got in a horrible, horrible accident on the way home, and I know it was God's chasing hand upon my parents for leaving him completely out of their life. They crowded him out, and I became so disillusioned with spiritual things that when I was 18, 19, and 20, I did not believe in God at all. And I had been brought up in the word up until the time I was 11 years old. But the disillusionment of my parents turning away, no church attendance, no Bible study, no prayer, no spiritual influence whatsoever in my life here uh, locally from the time I was 13 to 20, very little church. I went sometimes, and I used to cry because I wanted to be there so badly. But because I saw this in my parents' life, when, and all the disillusionment that went along with it, all the things they taught me were evil, they began to do. By the time I was 18, I started to college, and that's all I needed to push me over the edge. The teachers and their humanism and their tearing down the things of God and their laughing at things of God, I thought they're right. There's nothing to it. I was so disillusioned with people. You cannot bear fruit. If the soil is, if the plant is planted among thorns which choke out your fruitfulness. My parents did not bear the fruit in my life between 13 and 20 because it was all choked out. They had been planted on good ground. They loved Jesus so intensely that they both enrolled in a Bible school. It's how I came in the home. I was adopted. My mother decided to open up a home to minister, to take babies in and little children for parents who were in divorce action or whatever problems they were in, and she would keep them for a certain period of time till the people got their lives straightened out, and then they could have their children back. And the court would put some of the children. She thought, oh, what an opportunity to pray over these babies and the little children. And my mother dropped me off and never did come back. What do you think of that? <laughs> but anyhow, my uh, biological mother. But I praise God for those first 11 years. But oh, what a tragedy that those remaining years, especially from 13 on, I saw the thorns come in. And beware, every one of you in this room, the seed probably didn't fall by the wayside, and it probably didn't fall on rocky soil. It probably fell on good soil. And you know what kind of soil produces the best weeds? Good soil. Good soil, good weeds. And why is it... Why is it that weeds grow so much faster and so much more abundantly than good plants? I'm going to talk to the Lord about that someday. I think it's just a part of the curse that came on because of Eve's sin. Uh, if I weren't born again, I wouldn't make it to heaven. But if I weren't born again and I could make it to heaven, I'd want to punch her out, wouldn't you? For all she's brought on this earth, all the horrible stuff we've had to go through because of that silly, oh well... There's no point in being bitter against Eve, is there? <laughs> but, you know, there might be a blossom here and there when you're planted among thorns. You might meet somebody and you witness to them, and it's, you know, it has a little product. And somebody might look at your life because you go to church and they think, oh, they're lovely. They're in church all the time. Isn't that nice? But there isn't that abundant fruit that Jesus wants out of your life. And just as a neglected garden... The weeds and bugs take over, and the beauty and fruitfulness is choked out. An unfruitful Christian is not living to please God. We need to weed constantly. We need to get our priorities straightened out. So first things are first. God is first in our life. The subtle thing about this 
is that you often don't even realize it's happening. What are the thorns or weeds as Jesus describes them? The first weed that he describes here is cares of this world. Cares of this world. And that might mean something to each one of you different than it would mean to me. But some of the things that could be um, would be what shall we eat? What shall we wear? What shall we, uh, wherewithal shall we be clothed? What shall we drink? Jesus said, after all these things, the ungodly people seek. But you're not supposed to take anxious thought for these things. And you know, it can be a care of life. What am I going to wear? Women, I have that, pro- isn't that an awful problem? I'll be so glad when I'm clothed in my white robe. <laughs> you know, and it's no more a problem. What to wear? And fashions change so fast and so difficult. You know, to just, you know, I'm thinking, oh, I don't even know what I'm going to wear. The picnic tonight, this morning, I thought, Lord, what am I going to wear? And it was like, you've got to wait till after the class, and while you're preparing the food, I'll show you what to wear. Yes, Lord, thank you. I'm, going, I'm not going to be caught up in that. But I can get caught up in that so easily. And uh, it's just, one of the, what am I going to wear? Um, with meal planning, I, you know... If you don't put the Lord first, many times it's hard to get a good meal together. Have you ever found that true? Have you? But when you put him first, I have, I, uh, on the picnic, I've been, this is, I should have been cloned this week. Um, there are so many things that I need to do in one day. Uh, if I had some clones that could do some of it for me, it would really be a blessing. But... Um, Yesterday, as I was studying for this, I spoke Wednesday someplace, too, and it just really has been an unusually busy week. And um, when I was speaking Wednesday, I was thinking something, as I was studying Tuesday and for Wednesday, I was thinking, uh, oh, boy, I better get in mind what I'm going to take to the picnic. It's on my mind because our whole family's going. I think there are going to be 15 or 20 of us. I don't know. And so I... um, was thinking, oh, yeah, I've got to get paper plates, da, 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 and chuckle one, da, 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 you know. And I thought, no, I can't do that right now. I've got to get this lesson together. So I said, all right, Lord, I'm doing what you're requiring of me first, and you will show me exactly what to have. Cheryl came over yesterday while I was studying for today, and she said, Mom, what are we going to have for the picnic tomorrow night? And I said, let's take about five minutes and think about it, and God gave me the menu. I mean, it just, da, 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 da. Now, I know exactly what I'm going to have, whether I can get it there or not. It's going to be another. <laughs> no, we've got it planned out. I, I feel good about it. But, um, you know, what should we eat? What should we eat? And I have found when I put Jesus first in my life that I can claim this problem. I can say, Lord, would you help me get the, menu, the dinner ready tonight? I need the two vegetables. Which two vegetables? What kind of da-da-da? What salad? What kind of salad dressing? And he'll do it. If I put him first, he's promised you can say, you said in your word, Lord, if I sought you first, all these things would be added unto me. And you said I'm not to take anxious thought for what I'm to wear, what I'm to drink, or what I'm to put on. Now, for women, this is very, very good for you to listen. You know why? Taking anxious thought for these things are thorns in your life. They crowd out fruitfulness. When you could be spending time in prayer, you're laboring over, what can I wear, what can I wear? You know, or what, sh- what can I do, da, da, da. It isn't pleasing to the Lord, and it chokes out your fruitfulness for him. Okay, it can be, how can I pay the bills, cares of this life? How am I going to pay the bills? Oh, now I don't happen to be in that position right now, but I've been there, and I know what it means. But some of you are there struggling with that. You come into class, and your mind is so on those things that the soil, I mean, the word lands among thorns, and thorns can be popping up in this room this morning. If your mind is on those things that you're struggling with, 
cares of this life, it can be thorns in your life to choke out your fruitfulness. And God wants the word to penetrate your heart in its deepest place and bear fruit for him. Uh, Some other thorns, cares of this world can be uh, for you single gals. Oh, Lord, won't you ever send anybody in my life to marry? For you married women, it could be, Lord, why did you ever send him into my life? <laughs> That's bad. I don't feel that way at all. But I do know some married women that do. And, um, you know, it could be a thorn. In your, I, you know, you're going through those, those places in your life. Those can be cares, and they, they choke out the fruitfulness of the word. Um, remember, seek ye first the kingdom of God. He'll take care of all those things for you. He has a plan. It's ti- his timing is perfect. He's methodical and orderly in all he does. And not a sparrow falls to the ground, but what he knows about it. Every hair on your head is numbered. He knows the name of every star in the sky, and you can't even count them all because you forget where you started. Remember Ramona told you that? Have you ever started to count the stars and then all of a sudden did I start there or was it that one there and then all of a sudden you see a star you didn't see and you wonder God has them all named he not only knows all the stars by name but he flung them into space and remember Chuck's message Sunday morning oh I got so excited before he ever said in that same hand that flung out the stars and created the world I'm going in my heart I'm going I get it I get it I was so excited I had to poke the person next to me and said oh and that's a hand that helps us I mean I just ooh, oh I just that hand of God is there and the one that created the world takes care of every problem in your life if you put him first Why in the world would anyone want to put thorns and thistles before God? Cares of this life. But we do. We put our thorns before our Father. I was reading a poem, and I wish I'd brought it the other day. It talks about uh, our contentment, when God, our discontent. God just gives us everything, and we choose to sit down a bunch um, upon our thorns. Isn't that just uh, quite a picture in your mind? You choose to sit among the thorns instead of believing God and what he wants to do. Okay, the deceitfulness of riches. Riches are deceitful. And you know why? Because they make you think you can be satisfied. There is not a jewel in the world that can permanently satisfy you. Not one. You could have big diamonds, rubies, sapphires, anything you want. Amethyst, turquoise, go on down the list. And not a jewel will satisfy very long. It might be fun to receive, but it will not bring that satisfaction that our heart craves so desperately. And I have watched people who did not have much, and as they began to accumulate wealth, turn from Jesus very, very, very slowly. They get so interested in possessing that they leave Jesus out. How sad. The deceitfulness of riches. They're moving on up, moving on up, moving up. And they don't realize that these are thorns in their life. Live as simply as you can. Live simply. Chuck and I live simply. I mean, sometimes I think, oh, boy, people are going to think our home is um, its very unpretentious. I love it. I don't want to move. We've lived there uh, about eight years now or ten years. I don't even remember. Since 19, so ten years. And I think it was 15 years old when we moved in. And it's just God's floor plan for us. We just love it. And I think sometimes, oh, people will think we're not living the way we ought to live, I guess. Some of those rocky Christians, you know, those that are on the rock, not the deep Christians. But 
And I get a little trouble in my spirit, and the Lord says, Kay, you're right where I want you. I want you to keep your life simple. I don't want you getting possessed by possessions and not accumulating and all that. And, um, and God's speaking to your heart that way. Uh, there's a scripture that keeps coming to my mind in Proverbs. If riches increase, set not your heart upon them. If riches increase, don't set your heart upon them because they can be thorns that come up in your life. Okay, and the other thing that Jesus refers to here that we're told about in Mark is the lust of other things. Things, and a lust means strong desire. We think of lust always in a sexual connotation, but it isn't. It means strong desire. And this means strong desire for anything but God. Anything that takes your desire above God, and there are so many things that it could be. Um, it can be just anything that you desire more than him. They can be, it can be a good thing or it can be a bad thing. Things that are above God's word, prayer, uh, the prayer life, the fellowship with others who are Christians, any of these things put first things first. Lust for other things can bring thorns into your life. And I want to speak to you single women again so strongly on this. The ones that are so anxious that God bring that perfect person in their life, that strong desire for that can so choke out your fruitfulness. Oh, it's so sad. If you will wait upon the Lord, if he intends you to be married, he'll bring him. I'm looking at Jeannie as I talked this morning because Jeannie is one of the girls that has, God has brought through, and she has such a glowing testimony in him for this. I think Jeannie should speak to the singles, maybe single women once every month or something, <laughs> and encourage them because she has, uh, she has some beautiful things to say that God is showing her about the single life. And there are things in the single life. You know, it says the single woman may please God. And the married woman is to please her husband first. Not first, but she pleases her husband. It says she has to figure out how to please her husband. Where the single woman has this beautiful opportunity to please God first. And um, think about that, you that are single. Be careful of being unequally yoked with unbelievers. It's so dangerous. Remember, these are not necessarily bad things, but they choke out the word. Okay, now the one person I like, the very bestest of all, as my kids used to say, 4-8, Mark 4-8, and other fell on good ground and did yield fruit that sprang up and increased and brought forth some 30 and some 60 and some 100. Oh, that's the kind of life I want. I want all the nutrients in, are in the soil to produce uh, an abundant crop we have a gardenia plant right outside our kitchen window that I think I've told you about. When I met Chuck, my very first night of meeting him, it was the style to wear your hair on top of your head with, gar- with flowers in it. And that's coming back very strongly, isn't it? And uh, I had my hair on top of my head and gardenias across the back. And um, so on our 25th anniversary, he brought me a gardenia plant and planted it right outside the kitchen window. Our anniversary is June 19th, and every year in June, my gardenia plant blooms and I've been looking at it and to look at the buds the flower buds and I can't wait for them to open this morning I was down in the kitchen about six o'clock and I um, took a deep breath and I smell gardenias and I wanted to run outside one of them must have bloomed last night I mean, you know it's almost June it's about time <laughs> but I was thinking the other day about does it uh, boy our soil's right I'm not seeing any yellowing on the leaves because I know something about gardenias and that's that they must have what 
very acid soil very acid soil and our soil happens to be very acidic which is good for gardenias if it isn't I found out that you can take white vinegar and mix it in a big uh, gallon of water and give it a cup full every so often and don't do it till I tell you right or you might burn your plant up but anyhow uh, you can add acid to the soil that way I thought that was a neat hint but all the nutrients are in the soil our soil there at the house to produce beautiful gardenias and how fragrant and wonderful they are. You know, when you're, when the seed of God's word falls in your life on good soil, it produces healthy, wonderful, fragrant plants out of your life. And others coming in contact you with you uh, pick up on the fragrance of Christ's beauty within you. I love fragrance. I love um, ginger and all that that you smell in Hawaii, that white ginger. It smells so good. And plumeria. This time when we were over there, they gave us plumeria lays and uh, carnation lays and some with the pikaki in them. If you've ever smelled that, it is marvelous. And um, one other that I'm forgetting right now, but, oh, I just love them. And, you know, people all around me when I was wearing these would go, oh, that smells so good. And I thought, oh, that's what I want my life to be. So that fragrance of Jesus goes out from my life. And people pick up that wonderful fragrance, and they want that fragrance. And they want that beauty. Have you ever worn perfume and somebody said, oh, I love that perfume. What are you wearing? Isn't that fun? And I'm always doing that to people. And some people don't like to tell you. It's like a recipe. They want to keep it to themselves. (laughs) Obviously not planted in good soil. (laughs) But... um, All the nutrients are there when it's good soil and it's deep soil and it's rich soil. The prayer life is rich because Jesus said in John 15, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. When you're planted in that deep, rich soil, you're planted into Jesus Christ and his words are effectually at work in your heart and your life. And you can ask what you want to in prayer, and it's going to be done. Because you're not going to be asking anything out of God's will. Because the soil is good, the plant grows, and it's bathed by the sun. Not just the big, round sun in the sky, but the sun, S-O-N. Jesus' sun, that is shining on you. He is your light, and you're walking in light. There's no broken fellowship There's no darkness in your life, but plants grow so beautifully in light, don't they? And they need light for growth. There are very few plants that do better in the dark that I know about. There are some probably, but um, it dwells in the light, and there's purity, and there's fellowship. And most of all, Jesus is bringing out, it is fruitful. Some 30, some 40, some 60, and some 100-fold. John 15, 8 says, Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. You want to live pleasing to Jesus? You've got to have the word of God when you hear it planted in good soil. When Chuck preaches on Sunday morning and you're sitting in service, you don't have your mind on 15 other things or even one other thing. You say, God, I want you to speak to me today. And you've anointed Chuck to speak, and I'm going to listen And I'm going to receive what you have for me this morning, that I might be fruitful and I might bring forth much fruit. The quality of crop comes through our yieldedness. The quality comes through our yieldedness. We abide in him. The quantity is the result of our taking advantage of every opportunity. The quality of crop comes through our yieldedness. We abide in him. 
and the quantity is the result of our taking advantage of our opportunities. After Jesus gave this parable, in the 24th verse, he said, Take heed what you hear. And this morning, that's what I'm saying to you. Take heed what you hear this morning. Because when you are listening to the word of God, remember, there's one quotation I didn't give you that I just love this morning. I don't know how I missed it. I got it from somebody else out of a, uh, out of a commentary, and it was so great. Oh, the fate of the spoken word depends on the hearer. The fate of the spoken word depends on the hearer. Got it? If I say something to you, it's how you pick it up that the word develops power, right, in your life. If you don't receive the word, it has no power in your life, right? Now, this is a good psychological principle. If somebody's throwing hooks at you, you know how people have this way of sending little barbs out? These uh, psychologists often call them hooks. You have a choice as that hook's coming towards you to take it or to refuse it. And psychologists teach you you should refuse those hooks. When people are doing that, you just don't let them penetrate your mind and your heart. And you just, you know, it's like you put a barrier up and it goes right back to the person. Now, spiritually, Jesus is not sending out uh, hooks that are barbs and all that. He's sending out his word through his messenger to you. And as it comes to you, you have the choice of letting it fall by the wayside where Satan can come and take it away. You have the choice of letting it fall on rocky soil where you uh, just have absolutely no depth so you don't receive it. You just toss it out and forget it. And you're offended by and by and you quit it all anyhow or you become a dull, apathetic Christian. Or you have the choice of letting the cares of this life, and this is so dangerous in service, and it happens to every one of us. Have you ever caught yourself singing a chorus and you're looking around to find out if Mary was there yet or Joe or whoever it is you're looking for? Have you ever done that? Or you were thinking, oh, boy, I better get home before the roast is finished because it's going to burn in the oven if we don't. I hope Chuck doesn't preach too long. Or, or no, you've never thought that about Chuck. <laughs> but have you done that and you missed part of the sermon? Or you're so preoccupied with all these other thoughts? Those are thorns, and we've got to be careful. But are you listening to the Word of God and letting it fall in that good soil? And, and really taking root. Jesus impresses on our heart over and over again that when we hear, we must listen. We must receive it into our hearts, and we must obey it. It isn't enough to just hear it and listen. We've got to let it work in our lives so it works in our actions, and then we bring forth fruit some 30, 40, 60, 100 fold. And if you use all the opportunities God gives you, you will bring forth fruit a hundred fold.